As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the host of Atlantic and Coastal. Wrapping up in the year, 2020 is coming to an end. Uh, the football season that we didn't think would get all the way through has gotten to the end. This is the post-Christmas edition. I hope everybody had a safe holiday out there. Uh, we're going to have a fun conversation today. David Teal of the Richmond Times-Dispatch is back with us on the podcast. He was on us, I think, our second or third episode that we did earlier this year. Uh, Kind of a lot has changed since then. (laughs) I always enjoy David coming on the pod and giving us his perspective about things. When you have a Hall of Famer that can come on the podcast, uh, it immediately just ups the level of the show considerably. We're going to talk about Clemson and Ohio State. We're going to talk a little bit about Notre Dame and Alabama, the college football playoff semifinals. We're also going to swing around the ACC a little bit as well. A bit of a recap of 2020. Wanted to ask him his coach of the year pick, some surprise teams, some flop teams teams uh we'll go over how the notre dame experiment worked in this year that they tried it out here i think a lot of people love to make that permanent i doubt that notre dame would but we'll just kind of examine how that went and i also want to get his thoughts on jim phillips as the new commissioner Okay, joining us now, friend of the pod, David Teal, columnist for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Still weird to say it that way, Richmond Times-Dispatch. Uh, Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, 13-time Virginia Sports Writer of the Year. I checked the Vegas odds. He is very heavily favored to be 14-time Virginia Sports Writer of the Year. David, how are you doing? Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Happy New Year to you, Andy, and all your listeners. I am a loyal listener, by the way. I, th- I feel like I learned something new every show from either you or one of your guests well i i like to let the guests bring all that insight and knowledge (laughs) and i lean on them throughout this and i will do that here too uh you're an incredible guest we had you on earlier in the season back before we even knew that we'd have an entire season now we've actually had an entire season right are are you surprised we even got through this thing frankly i am and i i think you know you and i have talked many times throughout season and in press boxes even as recently as early November if you had told me that the ACC was going to get in 85 of 90 regular season games I would have been surprised if not shocked now the SEC did better percentage-wise but no conference played more games than the ACC this season. That's funny because I keep hearing the SEC commissioner talking about how, you know, the SEC is going to play all of its games and things like that. I agree with you. I, th- I was a little bit critical of the ACC at the beginning of the year. I said, why are you doing this right after Labor Day? There's going to be spikes when kids go back to college. But as it turns out, 
building yeah. in those extra weeks was important in terms of rescheduling. And you saw the mess that the Big Ten was. I mean, they, they had the bo- the worst of both worlds. They started late and they left themselves no wiggle room. Uh, at the very least, the, the SEC started late to avoid that and, and, you know, didn't have as much wiggle room as the ACC did. But I, I have to think, you know, looking back, I don't think anybody did this perfectly. I don't think there's a, a no. playbook or a handbook on how to do this, but I, I have to commend the ACC for doing what it did and, and having a pretty good plan, all things considered. Yeah. I mean, produce more inventory than it, than any conference for ESPN. And let's face it, part of this was a money grab. I mean, they needed that they weren't going to have the ticket revenue. No school was. And television revenue became paramount. And by playing 85 of those 90 games, you know, the ACC, John Swafford told me when we spoke a couple weeks ago that he thinks the ACC will be whole financially from the television revenue standpoint of things for this football season, which to me is astonishing. And then if you go back, when we first learned that Notre Dame was going to be a part of the league in 2020 for football, what was the best case scenario? Notre Dame and Clemson both make the CFP. What do we have? Notre Dame and Clemson in the CFP. Yeah. Minor miracle to get that full TV allotment this year. Uh, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of shortfalls elsewhere. Obviously no fans and, and things like that. And athletic right. departments are really hurting, but every dollar counts this year. And the fact that they could get all of that money in is a very big deal. Uh, this is a strange postseason. Uh, not only for the teams, but for us, this is the yeah, first year. Right? This is the first year since 2003 that I have not covered a bowl game in the postseason. I did not cover uh, Auburn when I first went to Auburn in 2008, but I did cover that Sugar Bowl between Alabama and Utah. So I went to a bowl game that year, just one of the teams that I covered. Uh, how long has it been for you? So, I mean, you've been pulling double duty on these bowl games uh, lately too, so you really uh, you really get your number up there quickly. I have. I've, I've done multiple bowls many, many seasons, but actually my – my bowl streak is not as long as yours. I go back to 2012, I believe, where I opted out of the trip to Orlando for Virginia Tech Rutgers. Oh, that was that was a morbidly awesome game. <laughs> right? But as, as I sat in my home and watched that morbidly awesome game, I was patting myself on the back for the decision not to go. That was, a, for the listeners who don't have instant recall of that the Titanic 2012 Russell Athletic Ball, that was Virginia Tech Rutgers. Right? Uh, Frank Beamer was about to fire his entire offensive coaching staff. <laughs> And they showed why in that game. I think the opening snap or the second play of the game, they snapped it over Logan Thomas's head and into the end zone for a safety. Virginia Tech ran for like three yards. I think they averaged was, like like a foot per carry or something right. like that. And they won. They won yeah. in overtime in this horrible weathered game. And it was just uh, incredibly awkward. And, you know, it's what the bowl season is all about. Like you know, these teams are great, but they're playing football in late December for no reason. Yeah, that was a that was a six and six Virginia Tech team, right? I believe so. I, yeah, yeah, I believe they they barely got there on that one. And, and I remember the post game. Our, our colleague, your colleague Mike Barber, asked in the most polite way to Frank Beamer, basically, "Are you going to fire all your coaches?" <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the post game of it. Well, speaking of bowl games, let's get to a much much better bowl game. Thank you. Uh, you know, there uh, the semifinals are set. National semifinals: Clemson against Ohio State, Notre Dame versus Alabama. Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of bowl games that you kind of question whether they're going to happen this year and they're getting canceled at the last second for COVID surges or anything. These games are going to happen come hell or high water. If they have to it's... postpone them by a month, they will play these games to get the TV revenue in. Uh, Clemson and Ohio State. This is an interesting one. Clemson's favored by seven and a half uh, in this game. You saw these Tigers in person. And you saw sort of the Death Star version of these Tigers. I mean, they are rolling right now. They look yeah. like a team that is, uh, you know, one of the two best teams in the country. I think we everybody looks at this year and they go, well, there's really two teams, maybe three, if you count Ohio State, that can win this whole thing. Uh, this is an interesting one. What did you? What was your takeaway from the Tigers when you saw them in Charlotte against Notre Dame? Yeah, you you 
described it aptly, the, the Death Star Tigers. I, I was talking with a friend before the game, and I was struck. This was angry, motivated Clemson. Angry because it had lost in South Bend in November and motivated because if Clemson loses that game, it's not going back to the playoffs for a sixth consecutive year. So with everything at stake, Clemson brought its A game, both sides of the ball, and completely flipped the script from South Bend, where Notre Dame was able to win the rushing battle, and Travis Etienne, I think, had 28 yards, and Clemson averaged one yard a carry. Kyron Williams goes for 65 on the first play from scrimmage. Well, Etienne goes for 100-plus in the ACC championship game, and Kyron Williams is a non-factor. Were you disappointed by how much of a flop that game was? Yes. You you had been looking forward to that game all year, and you're like, all right, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to this game. It's the game of the year. And then it's a, you know, 28, I forget the final margin of, of the game, but I mean, it was not close start no. to finish. I mean, it's, that happens so often where we hype up these games so much. And then it's just like, ah, uh, you, you find yourself. Yeah. I, I bet you were writing your column midway yes. through the second quarter. I I, I was. And, and, and yeah, selfishly, I wanted epic. I didn't necessarily need three overtimes or anything that was going to push me up against deadline, but daggone. You know, give me some drama, please. But th- there was none after halftime. Yeah, it, when the first one's forty-seven to forty in double overtime, <laughs> it's like a walk-off win, and the crowd storms the field. You're like, "All right, this is going to be great." And then you have this horrible matchup, and you find yourself, as you often do at an ACC title game, writing the game yeah. story in the first half because that's the way those results go. Uh, perhaps now I look at this Ohio state Clemson. Is this the new game of the year that we're all looking forward to two versus three? This is a spicy matchup. I feel like these two teams do not like each other. Uh, It is a rematch of last year's semifinals. Clemson won that 29 to 23 in what I thought was as about as even of a matchup as there was in these college football playoffs. I mean, those teams seem very 50 50 on who could have won and Ohio state was up big early and then Clemson comes back and win. Um, you know, this is an interesting game. How, how for, how forward are you looking to this uh, game coming up? Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the few semifinals, Andy, last year's one, as you mentioned, 29, 23 final margin. That wasn't a blowout. I think eight of the 12 semifinals we've had to date have been decided by two touchdowns or more. And I think the average margin of the 12 is 17 or 18 points. It's just been very disappointing. And I don't think this one will be for, for two reasons. One, because I think the teams are evenly matched. And I'm curious to see, and not only with Clemson, Ohio State, but Notre Dame, Alabama. In a normal season, we have about a month between championship Saturday, the conference championship games, and the playoff semifinals. Well, this time, with championship Saturday being delayed by two weeks, it's it's less than two weeks or the semis. So I'm wondering if, if with, without that protracted lag time, if the teams just might be more in tune and, and ready to go. Does that make any sense? It does. I think the one big thing, when you see those huge long layoffs between the end of the season and whenever the game is played, I saw this specifically in the one national championship game I covered, Auburn and Oregon. I think there was a six weeks or something like that between the end of the season and when they played. And those were very much offenses that just needed timing and just had to have that daily practice and, and everything had to be clicking. At the end of the season, they were unstoppable. I mean, Auburn uh, put up 60-something, I think, on, on South Carolina in that SEC championship game. And then they get to the, the title game and they just looked out of sorts. And that was an extremely low-scoring title game, surprisingly. Uh, I think you see that sometimes when there's a long layoff in these games. So I guess this would probably favor teams like Clemson and Alabama that have these tremendous offenses that have been sort of hitting on all cylinders, as if these two teams needed more of an advantage going into this postseason. Clemson and Ohio State's interesting. Clemson is 3-0 against Ohio State since 2014. 
Ohio State is not used to being in that position in these sort of matchups. Like, they are the big brother in all of these matchups. I mean, even like you know, their big rival with Michigan. I mean, they have turned Michigan into the little brother of that whole rivalry. Uh, how much does that add to the uh, spiciness of this game where all of a sudden you've got the Buckeyes like kind of looking up at another program? Well, looking up at another program and, oh, and a coach that voted them 11th in, in his coach's ballot at, at, at the end of the season. And, you know, hey, credit Dabo Sweeney yesterday in his, in his media op where, number one, he owned it and said he didn't vote anyone or any team that played fewer than nine games in the top ten. That's why I voted 6-0 Ohio State, number 11. And then was the kicker line. He said, I could probably run for governor of Michigan and do pretty well, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. And, and then on the other side, you had Ryan Day just with a little sneaky inference that maybe Brent Venables steals signals over there on the Clemson sideline. So, yeah, I, I think your notion that these are two programs that aren't very fond of one another is spot on. You mentioned the six games thing, and a lot's been made of that. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Ohio State getting in, having played six games, versus Clemson, who's, who's played 11? I mean, it's, uh, you know, Dabo Swinney laid it out. I mean, if Clemson's going to win the national championship, it's going to play 13 games. If right. Ohio State's going to do it, it's going to have to win eight games. How big of a difference is that? I think it's huge. Was Ohio State going to be the class of the Big Ten regardless? Yeah, probably. But – the Buckeyes didn't have to line up five more times and go through five more weeks of protocol and maybe, like a Clemson, be without its starting quarterback for a couple of games or without you know, somebody else. Now, now granted, the, the Buckeyes were shorthanded against Northwestern in the Big Ten title game, especially at, at wide receiver. But you know, for, for the most part, that they were healthy throughout, both from an injury and a virus perspective. So yeah, I think it's a huge difference. But then who else would you have put in the playoff if you don't have Ohio State as the three seat? You know, are you gonna put Texas AM in? Would you prefer Cincinnati? You know, I I would have been interested to listen to the committee bat that around. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Yeah, it's interesting. I think... It was advantageous for getting into the playoff, only having to win six games like that. I think it's a disadvantage now that they're here because 
they're sort of in mid-season yeah. range of, of how they have a feel on this team, working through some stuff. And you've seen Justin Fields struggle a little bit. And, you know, Clemson's not always a perfect team by mid-season. We've seen that a bunch of times where they sort of have to ramp up over the course of a full season. So I, I think if maybe this game was played the week after the title games and Clemson had played this slog of a schedule and they're kind of beaten down, but they've had a little bit of a break here to recharge. You look at Ohio State, I feel like they just – they still don't quite know their team yet. Uh, they're still figuring things out. Like Trey Sermon runs for 330 yards out of nowhere and hasn't done that all season. I feel like that was kind of a surprise in that Big Ten title game. Um, that's my thought. That I just I think it's advantageous in one way to get in, but dis- not not an advantage once you get here. Yeah, and you mentioned you know Clemson coming off the ACC championship game has had had some time to to, to catch its breath after 11 games. And let's not forget the Tigers were off the week before the ACC title game, had that open date. So really one game in the last month. Thank you, ACC Commissioner John Swafford, for that mm-hmm. little bye week. Let's talk quarterbacks here. Sure. Uh, two pretty good ones in this game. Trevor Lawrence against Justin Fields. Uh, I don't want to spoil my Heisman pick, but one of those two guys appeared on my Heisman ballot. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's safe to say which, which one it was. Uh, I'm looking at this. Trevor Lawrence against Ohio State has the 104th ranked passing defense in the country. 261.3 yards per game. Uh, you know, we, we know the Hokies pretty well. That's five yards less per game than the Hokies, who did not exactly have a DBU-type season here. Uh, you know, Indiana threw for 451 yards and five touchdowns against this Ohio State defense. Is this going to be a field day for Trevor Lawrence going up against these guys? Certainly could be. And, you know, last year in the, in the Fiesta Bowl semi, I think Lawrence threw for – 270 and three and also ran for more than a hundred, including that long touchdown run right before halftime when you thought, okay, you know, now Clemson is engaged because it had been down. I believe it was 16, nothing midway through the second quarter. And the Tigers do not have the wide outs that they had a year ago, but the ones that they have are, are, are pretty darn good. Yeah, I've been surprised by the uh, the Clemson receivers stepping mm-hmm. up because you see Justin Ross go down before the season. You go, oh, well, who's going to step up there? And all of a sudden they have these guys that you haven't heard of that are just playing mm-hmm. huge roles. And all of a sudden E.J. Williams the last couple of oh, weeks is, is turned into an outstanding guy. He was he, he was the one who made the one-handed catch on the yes. sideline and made it look like it was just the most routine thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if Clemson knows how to recruit these kind of things. <laughs> the, the flip side with Ohio State, I look at Justin Fields, and he, he hurt his hand in that Big Ten title game. He hasn't quite looked as sharp as you would imagine. I wonder how much of that is still kind of feeling things out. Uh, that has been a very good rushing offense uh, this year. I think 270-some yards per game. Uh, third in the nation, 6.08 yards per carry. Trey Sermon, 331 yards in the Big Ten title game. Uh, I know Clemson's strength is still its rushing defense, and it shuts people down. Uh, what do you see in that matchup there? Is it sort of strength on strength of these two teams? It is. And when I saw Sermon in the in the Big Ten time, I was thinking, you know, are we looking at Ezekiel Elliott 2.0? You know, because in 2014, that first year of the playoff in the Big Ten title game against, sorry, <laughs> your Badgers. Oh, that hurts. It hurts for you to bring that up. <laughs> but, you know, against the Badgers and then Alabama and then Oregon, I think he went for almost 700 yards combined and eight touchdowns. And, you know, Sermon goes for a school record 331 against a really stout Northwestern defense. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, are we looking at another playoff run here by a Buckeyes running back? But that's the way they're going to have to do it. And, And that's the way that Notre Dame beat Clemson is with Kyron Williams rushing the football and controlling the clock. And I think that's what Ohio State is going to have to do. For those that forget the score of that Ohio State-Wisconsin game, it was 59 to nothing. I can't believe (laughs) Teal came on my podcast and brought that up about my alma mater playing so poorly in that Big Ten title game. We mentioned Venables, Brent Venables, earlier on this podcast. And uh, the sign stealing, Yeah, I think – 
Clemson is pretty well known as like figuring out other team size. You saw the great lengths that Virginia Tech went and like staying in the huddle to the last second and the big banners they put up to, to block signs from the booth and all that stuff. He's a pretty good defensive coordinator, though, uh, almost a decade now uh, at Clemson. Does he feel Bud Foster-ish yes. with the Tigers? I mean, is this you – know, we, we hear his name every year in the head coaching carousel and nothing ever really materializes there. Is he going to end up being a lifer there, do you think, or is, is this just a, a temporary thing? Perhaps it hinges on how long Dabo stays. That's a good point. I feel like Dabo might stay for a while. Like all these people, are like, oh, he's going to take over Clemson once once Nick Saban or uh, Alabama once Nick Saban retires. It's like, why? He's, he's got his own thing going, and they're just as good. Yeah, and well, you, and you never want to be the guy, right? You don't want to follow the the, the legend. Where you know who's going to have a statue? He already has a statue. Saban already has a statue. <laughs> I think I think he was unpleased with their, with some aspect of it or whatever. But he's got a statue there. So that's how good he is. He's still coaching, and they built him a statue already. Yeah, I mean, Venables has a great – and, you know, for now he's, he's coaching his kids, which has, has got to be a, a joy for the family. And, yeah, and, and now Clemson's defense is, is healthy. That's the big difference between the Notre Dame loss and, and the Notre Dame beatdown is, you know, Skalski's back and Davis is back. You know, with, with, with those cats right there in the gut of the defense, it's a whole lot better. I want to ask you this last thing on Clemson before we switch subjects. You've been covering the ACC for a while. Uh, you have seen this ascendance from sort of – you know, decent but not overpowering ACC team to the just machine that they are now. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people wondered if Clemson would ever get to this level, and I've been surprised that they have. Uh, has this surprised you at all, that they've gone from pretty good program that, you know, won a national title in the early 80s, and, and now all of a sudden they could be playing for their third uh, coming up here in the last few years? Yes, because you just saw them go through – so many coaches after Danny Ford and none could sustain it. And then, you know, they, they fire Tommy Bowden and hire this wide receivers coach. And you're wondering what is Terry Don Phillips thinking? Who was then Clemson athletic Clemson's athletic director. And he hit the lottery. I don't know if he, even Terry Don could have envisioned this, but it is, it's amazing what they, what they and Sweeney have built down there. I think for the longest time, you could probably say that Clemson underachieved with the kind of resources and the, the fan devotion and everything they had there. It's a very SEC like program when you go down there and cover a game there. Uh, it's certainly overachieving now, but that gap just seems so wide from a team that, uh, you know, those first couple of years, I think they won like one division title in the first five years, six years after post-expansion. And then all of a sudden they're winning it every single year. Uh, it's been an amazing transformation for that program. I want to move on to the other semifinal because Notre Dame is an ACC team technically. We're mm -hmm. still counting them this year. I, I don't know if after they get blown out in the ACC title game and perhaps get blown out this national semifinal if they'll continue to claim them as an ACC team. Alabama's a 20-point favorite yeah. in this game. That is the biggest sp point spread in college football playoff history. Yep. Uh, the last time, it, the, the previous biggest line on this was Alabama by 14 and a half against Oklahoma in 2019, and they did not cover that game, but they led it 28 to nothing early in the second quarter. So it was not a contest. Yeah. Uh, this one's probably going to go that way too, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like they're going that direction? This one's not going to be close. It it feels that way, and far be it from me to contradict the ACC Coach of the Year, but I didn't quite understand Brian Kelly yesterday when he said, "No, oh, we don't have anything to prove. You know, we're 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 back on this stage," and I'm thinking, any any question. I don't understand why this narrative always comes up. Well, the reason this narrative always comes up because every time Notre Dame is on the stage, 
they get worked over. I mean, they don't lose. They get just crushed. And maybe they can slow that Alabama D or that Alabama offense, but I don't know. Yeah, it's you go into it and you I think this would have happened to any team that was going to be in this number 4 spot. Everybody was very flawed after these top 3 and maybe even after these top 2. We'll see with Ohio State how it stacks up against a team of Clemson's caliber, but you know, in a lot of years you're like, "Ah, oh, there's maybe three teams that go in it. Sometimes years maybe there's like six that you think could be in the playoff. This year it was three max and then four they were kind of scrambling to fill that spot. Uh, I mean, what would they have to do to pull off this miracle? I mean, it would have to be completely on this defense, right? To, 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 to somehow slow that. I, like I, I saw Alabama and I haven't seen Alabama start to finish in many games this year, but I saw them in that SEC title game against Florida, which has athletes all over the field. I know it's, it's been a little bit of a struggle defensively for Florida this year, but I, I see that and I go Heisman contender at quarterback, Heisman contender at running back, Heisman contender at receiver, who maybe wasn't even the best receiver on the team to start the year and, and to kind of took over that role with an injury. Uh, Nick Saban defense. I'm just, how do you stop this Alabama team? I don't know how you do it. And oh, by the way, two first team All Americans on the offensive line to, to go along with the first team All American at quarterback, at running back, and at wideout. I mean, half of the AP first team All America offense is on Alabama's starting 11. That's, I don't know if we've ever seen something like that. And averaging 49.7 points a game, the only way for Notre Dame to keep this close is to, now Notre Dame leads the ACC in time of possession. It's going to need to have the football for 35 to 40 minutes, minimum. So a little luck of the Irish is what you're saying they need in this yeah. game. Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator at Alabama, by the way, is kind of surprised he didn't get a head coaching job somewhere this year with, with the job. Boyle's award done. winner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seems like he'd be a good candidate uh, for one of these schools, but he's not. He's in the playoff right now. Uh, yeah, I don't think that game will be close. I think I think basically what we're saying is we're very much looking to this Alabama-Clemson national championship game. Uh, they've played so often in recent years. I mean, that's you know, kind of how this is trending. You have to play the game, so we'll see how this goes out. But they've played so many times. Uh, do you feel like that's good for college football or, or not good? I'm okay with it if they're the two best teams, and for the most part, the games have been wildly entertaining. Right. So if 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 you can give me another 41-38 game or you know another one where. Like when Deshaun Watson finds Hunter Renfro with two seconds to go for the winning touchdown, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, I think that's great for college football at the end of the season. It's it's not great if like it's just a net inevitability every single year. Yeah. Uh, and I think sometimes at some point one of these teams has to lose, not to the other one, for the rest of the country to still have this interest. Uh, college football nationally uh, at the end here i, I kind of wanted to spin around the acc and maybe some other topics we have you here uh you're here obviously an expert about the entire acc i don't want to just talk about these playoff teams the entire team uh i'll start with this who was your coach of the year in the acc i voted for Dabo because they so made- did i so did I. I i thought we were there was only like six votes on there for Dabo. we were two of them yeah yeah because they gave us until after the championship game and I, I wasn't going to vote early. And if if Kelly had, if Notre Dame had won, I was going to vote for Kelly. Obviously, having having gone undefeated and, and beaten Clemson twice, but for for what Clemson accomplished in coming back from the Notre Dame loss and you know missing Lawrence for two games and the defense not being healthy. I, I voted for Dabo. Now, some people, you know, Dave Doran got a lot of support, you know, to take an NC State to an eight and three record in the top 25 ranking in the in the CFP. But NC State was the only team in the league that didn't play Clemson or Notre Dame or both. And to me, you have to kind of look at 
who they played. Not to suggest he didn't do a, a terrific job, but I thought Sweeney did a better job. Vic Torinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, we always do the thing where we go, what is the preseason expectation and how much did your team overachieve that based for the coach of the year? And it always, like you look at the like ACC basketball coaches of the year, Coach K's like never won, like he's won it like once or twice, I think, ACC coach of the year. And it's like, are you kidding me? He's the coach of the year every single year or up there, one of the top ones. I feel like Dabo is the same way. And and you're right, this year they let us vote after. They, they, it's normally before, correct? Yes. Uh, the title game. So this year yeah. we had the benefit of seeing who won the conference. And I feel like that's a pretty big deal if you you win the conference you should be coach of the year. And I always love the argument against Dabo. It's like, oh, well, he's got all these great players. He should win. It's like, well, who got the players? That's part of coaching is recruiting all these players and setting them up in a situation to win. I'm with you on Doran. I felt like that was a a gift from the scheduling gods this year. I mean, they missed the top two teams, like you mentioned. They lost to North Carolina, lost to Miami, lost to Virginia Tech. Uh, So even all the, the top teams they played up there, uh, they didn't fare very well in those games. I might have considered Halfley. Yeah. Uh, if if we're just doing, you know, who overachieved or who did better than you thought, because I thought in his first year uh, he was pretty good, especially for the schedule that they played. Uh, who was your biggest surprise team? I guess we kind of covered a little bit of that. Anybody this year surprise you with how they played? Yeah, I think Halfley did. And Halfley in, in, in BC, I, I think we were all – in agreement that the Eagles would be 14th or 15th. And I thought, you know, with, with Dracovic at quarterback and kind of retooling the, the, the offense with Frank Signetti as, as coordinator and moving from that grinded out Adazio, got to have a bunch of dudes and, and, and all that and, and throwing it more. I, I thought Boston College really did well. And had, had BC beaten Virginia there in, in its regular season finale to to go seven and four, you know, I might have thought long and hard about Halfley for coach of the year. Yeah, you see the final record with BC six and five, and you go, oh, "What's so special about that?" It's like, well, they don't really get to six and six by beating four patsies in the non-conference schedule, and then right. you know, struggling in the ACC. So, yeah, I'm with you uh, with BC. I thought they were my surprise team as well. I'll say NC State too, just because you're you know, you win that many games, it's still pretty impressive record-wise, doing what they did. Uh, who flopped this year that you didn't think would flop? Syracuse flopped like nobody else, but I think we all kind of thought that the orange uh, would be down. Um, I don't want to bang on Miami too much, but especially a team that, that, that only lost a couple of games, but oh my gosh, that, that North Carolina game. At, at the end of the season, I guess it's recency bias. And how can you give up 62 points when essentially you're playing to, to, to get in the orange ball? That was a, a mysterious outcome. I, I'll give Miami a little credit for turning that offense around. And I don't want to pin it too much on one game. And they still uh, finished with a, with a great record this year. I look at a couple. I, I look at Louisville. I think yeah. it was a team that flopped. I thought that pretty high expectations, though I thought maybe we were overranking them coming into the season just based on, it's like, oh, they improved by six wins last year. It's like, well, you don't do that in consecutive years. That means it's even tougher to do that the year after. Didn't quite expect as much of a step back there. I think Virginia Tech, 
a little surprising to me. I had them third on my preseason ballot. Uh, just the direction. I, I didn't think the defense would struggle as much as it ended up struggling this year. And another one, like I didn't have high expectations for Florida State, but I still expected them to be less of the the train wreck that they were this season. I realized there were a lot of COVID issues and everything that went along with that. Uh, but man, like, and I expected the offense to be a struggle. It's Norvell coming in trying to fix an offense that's been a problem for a while, and we always talk about that offensive line. But 36 points per game allowed yeah. for Florida State is so un-Florida State-like that I'm just like, what is going on down there? Yeah, worst worst defense in, in program history, which is, you know, it's not a terribly old program. It only goes back to the to the 50s, I believe. But, man. I mean, I only pick, I think I picked Florida State 10th in, in preseason. I, I just wasn't real high on that group, you know, especially because you had all the controversy about what, what, what did Norvell say to the players and how many of them did he reach out to and all that about the social justice matters and Marvin Wilson calling him out. It, it just didn't feel like, there was a good vibe around that program from the start. What I'm fascinated to see is if healthy, can Mackenzie Milton, you know, reignite that offense, you know, the, the transfer quarterback from UCF. If healthy, major question mark. Uh, yeah. With that, I mean, uh, that was such a devastating knee injury. It was almost like Alex Smith, Alex Smith. with uh, how yeah. much time he missed with that. Definitely hope he comes back. I mean, that'd be a great comeback story for somebody to, to come back from that and actually play some uh, meaningful football like that. Uh, I looked at the, the, the coaches, no firings this year in the ACC yet. <laughs> it's, right. it's still early, perhaps. I'm, and I look back, I'm like, oh man, how long has it been since there's been no fire? And it turns out it was like 2017. <laughs> like oh. I thought it was, I thought it was much further back than that. It wasn't. I suppose the closest guy to getting fired was probably Justin Fuente, the, the coach yeah. that you and I cover. Uh, were you surprised that Virginia Tech kept him? No, I absent a real embarrassing performance in the season finale against UVA. I thought Virginia Tech was, was going to keep him. And, and not because of the, the, the onerous $10 million buyout. I just, I, I believe that Bab, Whit Babcock, the athletic director, was going to look at the complete body of work and everything that this season entailed and that Fuente's first five seasons entailed and, and, and make the decision that, yeah, we, we want to keep him now. Is, is he front and center on win or else in 2021? Absolutely. And a, and a wise athletic director once told me, you never want to get into the into a situation where every game is a referendum on your head coach. And I think that's what we're looking at in 2021 with Justin Fuente. Yeah, it feels like it's like for a different reason at the end of the Frank Beamer era, it felt like every game was a referendum on him. And every time they lost, it's like, oh, is it time? Is it time? Yeah. Uh, you know, has it passed him by? Uh, that was not that was a couple years it felt like that mm -hmm. was like that it was just not enjoyable to cover a team like that where every game was the biggest thing in the world and the the end of the world that they lost that and yeah I agree with you they're at that point with Fuente I I'm with you I I I didn't think they were going to fire him but I you know I was leaning a lot closer to saying yes uh like the Sunday and you know Monday until it was revealed that he was coming back uh, yeah I thought it was a lot closer perhaps than I had initially thought just going in uh, considering the circumstances uh the Notre Dame experiment to shift gears uh, I'm not going to ask you if you think it's going to continue because I know the answer is no. Never in a million years is Notre Dame going to give this up. Would you want to make this permanent? Oh, oh uh, uh, a hundred times yes. I mean, how how good was pandemic? Put that aside. And I know the pandemic is why Notre Dame was in the league in the first place. But Notre Dame-Clemson 
their two games were the two most watched games of the college football season. No, we didn't have Ohio State, Michigan, and and, and, and some other big rivalry games. But, man, I mean, I just thought that, you know, to, to use our friend Aaron McFarlane's word, the juice that Notre Dame brought to the league was awesome. And, and think about this. And, and you're right. I don't think it, it's going to happen. But you add Notre Dame. And this is a subject near and dear to both our hearts. You could scrap divisions just like they did this year. And should continue to do, by the way. Right. You have with, with 15 teams, you just play two teams every year. And then you play six on, six off in alternate years. Real easy. Eight, eight conference games, and, and, and away you go. It'd be nice. Uh, we're living in a fantasy land. It's yes. not going to happen. How about this? They add Notre Dame, then they add Liberty as well to balance it out, and you can still do the two divisions. <laughs> Maybe some objections out there to that. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, a new commissioner, Jim yeah. Phillips, uh, how good of a hire is that for the ACC? I think it's a very strong hire for a couple of different reasons, because I, I, I think what the ACC has done here, Andy, is thread the needle. Clearly, the presidents wanted some new blood in the league. Every ACC commissioner previously hired the other four, including John Swafford, had attended an ACC institution. And in Swafford's case, had spent his entire career in, in the ACC. Jim Phillips, a Northwestern AD, is an Illinois graduate. He's from the Chicago area. Yes, he spent some of his early administrative career at Notre Dame, but that was when Notre Dame was a member of the Big East before the Irish joined the ACC for sports other than football. So in that regard, Jim Phillips is an outsider. But if you look at Northwestern's institutional profile, small, private, academically elite. Northwestern is an ACC school that competes in the Big Ten. He is is absolutely familiar with the ACC culture and the, the diversity of membership that makes the ACC so unique. You look at the other Power Five school or the other Power Five conferences, those four leagues have a combined six private schools. The ACC has six alone. Northwestern's the only private in the Big Ten. And now Jim Phillips, who knows that dynamic, he's coming to a league replete with private schools. And he understands how privates and publics interact. And I think it's going to serve him very well as, as he succeeds John Swafford. Yeah, I, I like the higher. I think it's good to get outside of the ACC family a little bit. Sometimes you can be a little bit too insular, and then mm-hmm. things just kind of build up over the years. You don't get fresh ideas like that. I think he'll be a nice outside perspective uh, to come in to help a, a conference that needs a little bit of help. I mean, you know, financially it's lagging behind a couple and I, a couple mm-hmm. other leagues, and it's never going to be the SEC. It's never going to be the Big Ten to make up that ground. It just doesn't have the profile of a couple of those conferences, but it can do better. And I, I think this could be an opportunity for that. Uh, two more questions here, and I'll let you go. You've been very generous with your time with us. Have you paid attention to any basketball so far? On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about the, the you know kind of flipping the calendar from football to basketball uh, compared to a normal year? It, I have paid attention, and I, I really paid attention to Virginia Gonzaga the, the, the other day, and – Wow, I'm not sure that Gonzaga won't enter the NCAA tournament undefeated. But if you thought it was difficult to keep up with all the scheduling adjustments in football, I mean, basketball makes your head spin off its axis. It gives constant, constant email updates from the ACC, it seems like. Yeah, no, it's just, it's crazy. And in, in the contact tracing and in the, in the quarantine, all it takes is one positive and you're shut down for a couple of weeks. It's, it's 
13 games is the minimum that the NCAA has set for tournament eligibility. I think if you ask every ACC coach out there, if would you settle for 15 games? I think they'd all raise their hand right now. It's going to be very difficult to get to the finish line. Whereas the ACC played about 90% of its football games, a little, little more than 90%. I think maybe more in the 70% range for basketball, if, if it's lucky. Yeah. Indoors in the winter with smaller rosters yeah. with a, with a greater surge, obviously nationally with all these cases going on, it's not a winning combination. Uh, hopefully we make it to mask madness or whatever the NCAA is going to uh, trademark later in March. <laughs> Last one for you, Teal. Uh, are you going to make it to midnight on new year's Eve? Absolutely. Because uh, <laughs> the, the, the sugar bowl is going to keep us up until when 1130, right? Maybe even midnight. Yeah, I suppose. Unless no, it's that's, very... that's 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 New Year's Day. That's New Year's Day. Yeah. That's, no, I, I I will make it until midnight if if only for one reason. I want to see 2020 go away. <laughs> so very smart. I have a nine-year-old who's determined to see the New Year for the first time ever at midnight. I'm not confident in her making it though. Well, I have a four-year-old who have given the opportunity would absolutely try. Uh, we are maybe we'll just tell her that you know we're celebrating the Nova Scotia New Year. Is that the further east than the East Coast? I can't remember. Yes. Whatever, we'll, we'll celebrate the British New Year or something like that. Uh, no better perfect way to to end this season, uh, this this calendar year 2020, than by David Teal coming on the podcast. David, we appreciate you coming on. Everybody, go on Twitter and follow him at by David Teal. Uh, read his stuff on Richmond.com. Uh, great insight as always david thank you thank you man really enjoyed it okay that's gonna do it for this week's episode this is a big week for the acc usually the bowl schedule is spread out across a couple of weeks and some start before christmas and you go until a week after new year's uh this year it's all kind of condensed in one spot in one week uh by the time we come to you again next week on the podcast every acc team that is playing in the postseason will have played so we'll have some results to talk about. Hopefully we'll be talking about uh, another team playing for a national title uh, the following week. I think that's a pretty good shot of that with Clemson moving forward. That's going to do it, though. Thanks for joining us, everybody. A reminder, go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, you can listen to this podcast ad-free there. Uh, go to theathletic.com slash pod to see what kind of deals we have going on right now. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at AndyBitterVT. Uh, always chime in every now and then, and certainly will during this bowl season as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think you'll be looking forward to it. We'll be back again next week to talk all about it. Music.